Jesus. I just got done interviewing the young stud, Greg Halbach. Look, I know I say it on just about everyone. This podcast, forget about this one. Outstanding. I, this, If you're listening, you're going to realize the purpose of this podcast, of me putting it out, is just to freaking get these guys and girls who I'm interviewing, to crack them the freak open, and to have them like give serious freaking value. This guy's 25 years old. He started at 20. If you're having a hard time getting into this business, you got to listen to this. If you're in a market that's tough, you got to listen to this. If you're having a hard time buying properties, you got to listen to this. If you're out there and you can't figure out how to make deals happen because of rapport or figuring out deals, you got to listen to this. Why? Because I speak to Greg, the kid's 25. He's he's literally he's a young stud. He's a beast. He's very articulate. He's he's an implementer, a guy who will pick somebody's brain, will read a book, and then go out and implement. There's so much value in this podcast. You're gonna absolutely love it. But you know how it, you know what I say all the time. Shit's not gonna work unless you get off your ass and do something. Now listen, take notes, and then go implement like a freaking beast. I'll see you. Welcome to Unstoppable Real Estate Investing Wealth. My name is Billy Alvaro, a.k.a. the Unstoppable VA. Former billion-dollar mortgage banker, gone bankrupt, turned professional real estate investor. Where each week, you'll learn the tools, strategies, systems, and secrets myself and other highly successful real estate investing entrepreneurs use to start, grow, and scale their businesses, creating massive profits, and how you can too. And we'll teach you how to put those profits to work so you no longer have to. Get ready to finally experience financial freedom and generational wealth. Now let's get started. All right, all right. What's going on, everybody? This is Billy Alvaro, the Unstoppable BA, and this is Unstoppable Real Estate Investments. And I got to tell you something. Today... On the call, I have a young stud, young stud. This boy is 25 years old. I'm going to bring him in in a second and introduce him. Listen, if you're watching this show, if you're listening to the show on iTunes podcast, however you're getting to it, the purpose of this show is for one thing, to give you guys the tools, the tips, the tricks, the strategies, and the secrets that I've used to grow my business, that people that come on this podcast have used to grow their businesses. This is like real world information. I'm not going to sit here and interview people and have them tell me 45 minutes of their backstory of what they did. I want to know what they're doing, what works, and how they're making fucking money so you guys that are listening can take it and put it into practice. So with that being said, oh, by the way, anything we do offer, there's anything that Greg offers that there's a tool or something that he recommends, I'm going to take it and put it inside the, uh, the website that we have, which is billysecrets.com. That's billysecrets.com. Everything that I've used and all my guests use are going to be on there so you guys don't have to run around the internet trying to figure it out. It's going to be one place, one time. So without any further ado, I have this 25-year-old stud who is doing some major things. This guy and I met, Craig, I think about four years ago, maybe? Yeah. Time flies, dude, for sure. Time, time flies. You were just graduating college. Greg, yeah. Greg lived in New York. Greg was living in the Hudson Valley area. Yep. Greg graduated, and he's like, fuck this. I'm out. I'm splitting out to San Diego. This young dude, I got to tell you, he is somebody who he seeks information, but he does something that a lot of people have a hard time with. He actually implements what he what he learned, what he what he learns, and then he teaches it. 
So, Greg, without I just want to say congratulations on your success, dude. You're 25 years old. You're crushing it. Greg Halbeck from, from, from San Diego. Greg, let us know who you are, what you're doing, brother. Oh, thanks so much for having me on, Billy, man. You've, you've been a mentor of mine for years now, man. It's uh, every time I, we communicate together, my energy level just skyrockets. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm 25. I got started in this business in college. I was a, I was a college kid. I didn't know what I was going to do, man. I, I didn't have like a any plans to be an entrepreneur when I was younger, but I, I, I honestly wanted to grow wealth and I didn't know how I was going to do it, Billy. And I know you talk a lot about, you don't need to know the how right away, but you need to know the why. Right. And I knew I wanted to become independently wealthy and I didn't want money to ever be a reason why I couldn't do something like that was my big driver. Like I don't want to be able to not do that because I don't have the money. So went into the stock market, did a couple day trades, lost a little bit of money. I was like, this isn't for me. <laughs> you know, went to, uh, went to one of those seminars in town and it was like a, free boot camp scenario. I did the upsell, paid a thousand bucks. And, and I, I really got inspired at that event to, to like, it, it kind of showed me like, oh, you can actually make money without any money. And it seems gimmicky. Like people like on the outside, they're like, oh, how do you do that? And I, I, I listened to what they said and I went out and started taking action. Like they, like they also said, and you know, nine months later, I ran myself right into a deal and, and wholesale a property. And then I started doing that consistently and, uh, you know, ever since then, I haven't been a high volume guy, man. My, my big, uh, my big thing is, is really, I guess, an elephant hunter. So I look for the, the fatter deals and, and, and do a few of them a month. And, uh, you know, as over the last, you know, four or five years, I've been buying and flipping, buying and wholesaling. And now 2021 and on, I really want to get more into the buy and hold side. I picked up a rental a couple months yep. ago. So, uh, yeah, man, just, just looking to build wealth one, one property at a time. And, um, Learned a lot of lessons, man, along the way. Holy crap. So so let me ask you this, brother. Twenty you were twenty years old when you got involved. Young yeah. man. Yep. Young man. Young. Very so young. you've you did what a lot of people who were in their thirties, forties, and fifties wanted to do when they were twenty and thirties. You actually took action at a young age. Yeah. So did you I want to get into your mindset for a second. Uh, the mindset, because you know I love the mindset and I love going know what's going on in people's heads. Yeah. Was there anything in your head that was like you had a fear factor that it was trying to hold you back or did you say this is what I'm going to do? And I just went ahead and did it. You know, Matt, that's a great question because it, it, when you're young and you get involved in a business like that, you you almost kind of doubt yourself like slightly, you know, until yeah. you actually do it because you're thinking in your head, like clearly, you know, this business works, but you have like the yeah, but attitude. Yeah, but I'm 20. Yeah, but who would sell to a 20 year old? But yeah, are someone really going to sell their house at a discount off a sign? Like you have these like doubts in your mind and I'll tell you what, Billy, I, I still have doubts to this day. I, you know, as I get into larger deals and, and grow as a business person, as a, as a human, I think I still have those doubts. I think they were definitely a lot bigger in the beginning. But, you know, I, I just had to tell myself every freaking day, keep pushing, keep focusing on the process, keep learning from your mistakes. And I think once you consistently take action and you build that reputation with yourself and you start to change your identity, it's kind of, it's kind of like real deep mindset stuff. You start to really believe that you're worth what you want to go after. Cause like you sure. do the work every day and your mindset's like, you know, you're a guy that gets up, does the work every day, you follow through on what you say you're gonna do. Therefore, when you get the results eventually, because you kept those commitments to yourself, you start believing that you're worth it. And then all of a sudden your income goes up and your deal flow goes up, and then you have a pretty cool business in a, in a couple of years. So that's been a big thing for me, man. It's just the consistent daily wins, even though doubt was still in my head, you know. Yeah. You know, that's, you said something that resonated. It's the small consistent wins that really lead because I'm big on, on taking action. And so when I was $14 million in debt years back, I'm big today on speaking about MFA, massive fucking action. But when you're in a situation where you 
don't have the mind clear and things are on your shoulders and you don't have that, I guess, that confidence to go forward and take massive action, it's doing those small little wins on a daily basis at little things, nothing crazy, but you start building momentum one day at a time by taking these small wins. And before you know it, you look back, it's six months, it's nine months, you're nine months in and you got your first deal. Nine months from when you started studying, yeah. nine months. So what did, let's let's talk to the young people or let's talk to novices. Forget about age. Let's talk to people right now who they want to get into this. They had that fear factor. They don't know what to do. What were the steps you took when you first got into this? Besides learning, yeah. what were the actionable steps you took yeah. to actually start making a deal happen? For sure. That's a great question. And I like how practical it is. So really what I did was I picked, you know, in the beginning, I wish I could say I was super focused. I really wasn't, which is why it took me probably nine months to make some money. But I started doing the things that I thought at, at, at the time and with my resources and my experience made the most sense. So that was actually making Craigslist posts and putting out bandit signs. Like those were the two things I got pretty good at, right? Every freaking day I'd put out a Craigslist post. I'm looking to buy your house. I'd get leads that way. And, and this is a big takeover for the listener. Every single weekend, never miss a freaking weekend. I was out putting out bandit signs in the cold ass New York ground, getting freaking yelled at, having crazy people look at me. Every weekend I'd put out bandit signs. I wouldn't get a ton of calls, but I would get a consistent stream of calls. And generally I was getting some decent lead flow out of those signs. And I did not miss a single weekend, right? So I did that every freaking weekend, you know, week after week over week. And that is really how I started learning how to to get leads and, and understand like direct marketing. I didn't even know what direct marketing meant. I was just putting out signs. I was just like, I guess this is how you get deals. And those signs, Billy, I'll tell you what, man, they, they freaking worked. And I put those things out and I'd get calls and I would get nervous. And, and, and eventually I, I got a, a pretty good opportunity. I ended up wholesaling it out and making some money. And then I, like I said I, earlier, like I saw the feedback loop fire. I'm like, I'll put the sign out, got the call, made the offer, the deal, got paid. How do I rinse and repeat that? So really those were the steps. I was just consistent with the signs. I was doing yeah. the posts and I, I started getting momentum because the thing is like with, with marketing, like the seeds you plant that day might not pay you until six months. So like people would see these signs everywhere and then I'd get these residual phone calls from signs that, you know what I mean? So then I started getting, absolutely. yeah, man, that was, that was a big yeah. part of my career in the beginning of yard signs. So Craigslist and, and bandit signs. And what were the bandit signs cost you back then? About a buck a piece? They were about a buck or two a piece. I'd buy them in bulk and they would be sitting in my parents' mm -hmm. garage and I would just pop those things out. And I, I, I've hired people to do them ever since. But, you know, in the beginning, I just put them out. And I remember this is funny. We're going back this far because it really wasn't that long ago, but it seems like it was ages ago. I remember on friday nights you know people would be partying be like dark and cold in new york and i'm like you know what i'm gonna be really happy four years from now when the fruits from these signs like pay off eventually you know i'm like I, this is gonna be worth it and i had to keep telling yeah. myself that because i think when you're an entrepreneur you can feel very lonely especially if you're young and you're doing kind of what your peers are not doing and i was telling myself like keep doing this do the work this is how you can separate yourself and that obviously paid off so I'll never forget those, man. I'll never forget them. Yeah, bro. It's But you said a lot of good things there that people who are wanting to get into this business or who are in and not getting consistent results is because yeah. of that one word. It's consistency, right? You have to be consistent in any action you take. And so, you know, a lot of guys, they'll ask, what's the secret sauce to marketing? How do you drive in your business? What's the one campaign? And it's not one thing. It's multiple things. But it's starting with one thing consistently. And if you're consistent with that one thing, and like you said before, 
you're not going to see the fruits of those labors. Those seeds are not going to germinate for three months, for six months, for nine months. But eventually, that fucker is going to sprout. <laughs> and when it does, it's going to start spitting dollar bills all over the place. But you need to be consistent. 100%. And that's the biggest thing I learned as a young entrepreneur. And I still have to tell myself self as every I think when you come and I, I never really had a corporate career or anything I doing this in college. This, I've only been an entrepreneur in my like adult career. So I think a big issue that I had when I got started, this definitely can be relatable to the listeners is like, if you've only earned income via a job via a salary or a wage, and you go start trying to be an entrepreneur, you have to understand that you're going to get paid to produce, right? Whether you're in sales or you're an entrepreneur, you're only going to get paid to produce. And if that, you know, that is obviously true, right? So if you're learning or if you're transitioning and you're used to getting paid to show up or paid to just be somewhere, you're going to think the work that you're doing when you're entrepreneuring is not working because you're not getting paid immediately. You have to be patient. Right. You have to understand, you know, it's all about production and, and you know, building that momentum and those seeds like aren't going to plant uh, or they're not going to germinate. Like you said, 30, 69 days till after you, you started doing the work, you know? I like the way you said that, bro. It makes a hundred percent sense. It's uh, I'm so happy for you, man. Like, like you implement and you make shit happen. You then said, I'm done with New York and yeah. you decided to move out to San Diego. But yeah. now this is a, another key takeaway I want you to go into. I want you to train people and, and give them some really good tips on what you did. You still flip properties in New York from San Diego. Oh yeah. All the time, man. Multiple a month. <laughs> for okay. sure. So tell us, tell the listeners how you, what's your process for doing this? That's a great question. So yeah, there, there was a little bit of an evolution, so I can get into that. So basically I was in a situation 2018. So yes, two and a half years ago now, and I was making some money. I wasn't making a fortune, but I was definitely making a decent amount of money, you know, but I was, my, my income was directly tied to my location. Like I couldn't just get up and move because I had to go see people face to face virtual investing wasn't that popular really back two and a half years ago. It wasn't like it was today. Yeah. And I said, I, I just really wanted to get out of New York for some time. I just, I've always lived there. And I said, you know what? I need to learn how to do this business virtual. That word virtual investing was, was out there, but it wasn't that popular. So I, I remember and I, another thing, Billy, that was, that was bothering me was the, um, the sales cycle in New York is very long. And that was also kind of pissing me off a little bit. And I'm like, you know, it yeah. wasn't big of a deal, but I'm like, well, let me try this thing with title state virtually. So I'll tell you what, man, I got up, this is January 2nd of 2018. And I said, I'm going to generate leads in Dallas, Texas. I kind of picked Texas kind of randomly at first. And I said, I'm going to generate leads here. And I'm going to do exactly what I have always done up until the appointment. And then once, if they want to meet with me, I'll figure it out. If they don't want to meet with me, I'll buy it over the phone. So basically I just started partnering with an, another guy who I'm in a mastermind with. And anytime there was a scenario where a seller wanted to meet me, I would send my buddy there. He would go meet the seller, get it under contract and we'd flip the deal together. And we made a fortune. We probably did 40 or 50 houses like that. And we still do deals to this day from that marketing like two years ago. But I can't I, believe it. Yeah, I started doing, I just started everything. I started doing the process like I would if I was living there. But then one that came to the appointment, I just sent someone out there. I found a who to bring the how, right? And um, that's how I started doing. I did a lot of deals in Texas in like 2018, 2019. Eventually, the marketing channel down there wasn't like, you know, I was kind of, I had all these leads and I like, it was hard for me to find these new hairy properties. So I started to like shift and move my cheese moved a little bit. But um, yeah, I did a bunch of virtual deals in Texas. And then at the same time, kind of, I had a, a pretty good nest eggs like saved up from a lot of these deals. So I said, well, what if I 
just started doing more direct marketing back in New York because I'm doing these deals in Texas. I'm making good money. I have some real money to spend on marketing now. What if I just started marketing in New York? Because I know that area so well, I can close now. I started doing just traditional marketing in San Diego to New York, right? So doing all the marketing from here virtually. And like I said, now, like with, with my business, if I need somebody to go to the property on my behalf, number one, if I'm renovating, I have a project manager who works with me. He gets a percentage of the deal, just like an acquisitions manager would get, you know, on, on the wholesaling side. And then like, if I need like boots on the ground or something, I just, I have a lot of good friends there. I have realtors who will go on my behalf and I just kind of take it on a case by case basis. Man. And I do a lot of deals over the phone now, especially with COVID that's really worked out in my benefit. Um, and I think now at least people are more open to doing virtual things after this pandemic. So that really worked out in my favor. Um, big, big yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's pretty much it, man. I, I, I keep it simple. And, and, you know, I will say there are times Billy where, it, I will go back to New York for a weekend because I have, let's say I have like five or six houses and I really need to meet the lender. And, you know, I have no problem doing that. Like it's, I stay at my parents' house, but generally I'm, I'm, I'm back in California. I mean, we just wholesaled a 43 K banger two weeks ago and did it from San Diego. <laughs> you know, so yeah, you know, it's just, you know, so just, look, look yeah. the lessons here, man, it doesn't matter where you're sitting. It doesn't matter if, if yeah. you're listening in fucking podcast land and you're like, I can't, I can't do it in my area because it's just saturated. I live in Arizona, the toughest market in the United States. I live in California. I live in New York, Long Island, especially tough market, man. It's market. You know, if you're living in an area that it's a very tough market and you're not able to produce what you want to produce, there's no reason why you can't go to another market virtually. Look, this oh, yeah. young freaking kid, Greg. He's not the smartest fucking tool in this. You have the sharpest tool in this. Yeah. I'm saying it to be serious because look, we don't have to be and have a PhD to make no. this shit happen. You have to have a set of balls to go out there and do it. And that's like everybody across the board that I'm speaking with that I know that I'm in masterminds with that guys and girls that are successful, that make shit happen. They have a bunch of things in common. One of them is they never quit. They constantly go for what they're going to go for. They're not afraid of failure. They may, I shouldn't say they're not afraid. They know failure is going to happen. They may not like it, but it's part of the process. And all of them take fucking MFA, massive fucking action. They don't allow excuses to get in the way of making money. They just take action, right? So you you go out to Cali. You're in California now. Let's get into, because there's two things I want to speak to you about, is the tough deals that you do. Now, you go after some, like, and you and I, you actually picked my brain about this. I think like yeah, that's made me so much money, dude. Holy crap. Like that conversation we had like three, four years ago, dude. Like, oh my gosh, dude. That was like the best call of my life. <laughs> Cause you opened yeah. up the whole world to me. And I'm like, I made a fortune since, dude. <laughs> Crazy. I appreciate that, bro. Yeah. And you know how many people I've had that's picked my brain that I've had conversations like that with that actually went out and implemented it? Yeah. Dude, I probably had a hundred of those conversations, maybe five actually did something. Yeah. So you're one of the five. Thank so you. let's go into these big, cause listen, I love big deals. I love hairy deals. Oh, like yeah. the hairier the deal, the bigger the payout, right? So what are the, what are the hairy deals you like going after? So there's, there's a few types. So I love this, this question. I, I could talk about this for five hours. So really the, I like to look for deals where there's at least three kind of, I guess uh, I'd call ouchies with the property. So generally and this is a, something I've discovered, Billy, that, that I don't think this is like on any list, but a lot of people like the vacant house list, right? And that list works. I've made a fortune from that list. But a lot of times, yeah, you stack that list or 
you find a list where the property doesn't show up on the vacant list, but it's vacant according to my buddy or according to whoever, like I have someone drive the file and now they're not on the vacant list. So they might still be on some marketing list, but they're not on like these crazy stacked lists. So really there's like the vacant, the vacant house is a big component. Like it's physically vacant. Like whether that is on the vacant list or not, that is like a huge factor because there's always a reason it's sitting empty. And the way I look at a property, it's an asset. If, if no one is paying on that note or, or no one's living there, it's essentially, it's a liability at that point. It's like a car, you yeah. know, it's putting money yeah. in your pocket. It, that could be an apartment building. Those are things I'm starting to go after now. Right. Like, so it, it, vacancy is the biggest thing. The second thing I've noticed is it's, it's, I call it the secret probate because the, the, the property owner is deceased, but they're not on the probate list. So basically if you were to like go on list source or you're going to go on prop stream or whatever, the owner looks like they're alive and then you do a skip trace and all of a sudden you see the owner's deceased and you know, you can't find the relative. So like the, the deceased owner that looks like they're alive, that sounds a little weird, but just you, you kind of get what I'm saying. The vacant property. And then generally, you know, we could go, I have a really good case study on this exact type of deal. Uh, but the, the third thing is there's some sort of, you know, financial scenario, whether that's a back tax or whether that's a loan in default or whether that is a lien on the property, which have been home runs because the lien is essentially the city did some work. They cut their grass. They didn't pay for it. And all of a sudden they stick a lien on the file. So those are the three kind of trifectas that I, I look for. And it doesn't always have to be three for three. It could be two for three. But generally, the and, and when I said the deceased thing, that is an inherited property, it's a probate inherited property, but they're not getting marketed to like you're buying the probate list from the courthouse, right? So because it's they, not it's not public record, it's not public record. You wouldn't know unless you did the homework. And the thing is, the harder these people are to find, and it, it's it's some of these people are very hard to find, but the harder they are to find, once you get them on board to sell, you can pretty much buy the house for whatever you want because you're reframing their brain. Like, oh, I wasn't getting any money for this house. Now I can get some money for it. Well, something yeah. better than nothing. And I mean six figure. I mean, we do, we can get into that, but like huge, huge profits. So, but that's like the real like buy box I look for. Um, and, and like really at that point, because of those things I described, those people are hard to get in touch with. So like generally you're not going to stick them in call tools and have your VA, get them on the telephone and make these people like bad number, bad number, no relatives, bad, you know what I mean? Like, so that's, it's hard to get in touch with these people. So you're kind of going down the line on, on like the layers. And then you, you, you got to go two, three, four. I mean, we've gotten deals where we had to get a genealogist involved because we couldn't find it. We had no idea how to get in touch with people and it paid off Dude, big time. Yeah. I, I got to tell you that whole thing with the genealogist, we've done about a dozen of those deals in the last like two years. <laughs> and bro, every one of them, 80,000 plus wholesale, 80, every single one, man, because yep. Look, look, the one thing that everybody has to understand is deals everywhere. There's deals on every list. I don't care if it's a fire damage list, a vacant list, a tax lien list, divorce list, the non-occupied list. Every list has deals on it. But the harder it is to find those deals, the less people that are marketing, the harder it is to locate the sellers, the more people are going to give up. Because, look, nobody's going to do what you and I do to make a deal happen. Nobody's going to go to the extent to fucking track these people. There's very few. Like less than 1% of the investors out there are going to go to the nth degree. But if you want to make money, if you want to go out there and kill it and crush it, and I'm not talking about scaling and taking your business and doing shorter deals a year. I'm talking about a solid small business that you can be extremely profitable. you yeah. got to go after the hard deals. Oh, 100. And, they, and the, the text, I mean, it's. 
the checks you can make on these deals are they're mind blowing because the you you're not competing with anybody. You're just competing with the title issue. You're competing with the attorney who's trying to you know be a jerk. But like really, you're you're and you're really adding a lot of value because I mean I I can't even keep count of the deals we've done where like the sellers had no damn clue they could even sell that thing. They gave up on it, didn't want it. It was gonna go to the auction anyway. And we gave a seller 30, 40 grand on top of what was owed. We made ourselves yeah. 50, 60, 70. Everyone was yeah. happy. And it was like all the attorneys. Yeah. I mean, dude, those deals are, they are phenomenal. These these types of properties are, they're huge. Well, huge man. And you don't need a lot of money. I, to do I gotta, no. And that's another, <laughs> that's, a, that's another thing that people think. It's all this yeah. big misconception. People think they need money to invest and they, they don't, you know. You, you do need capital if you're going to start marketing. You need certain things. But like I had a guy on, on a podcast and he was just talking about free ways to market, to drive in business. You're yeah. not going to build a tremendous, you're not going to scale a business that way. But if you're a one man show and you want to get into this, like there are so many different things you can do that don't cost any money, but they cost time. Yes. You're going to use one or the other. It's yeah. either going to be time or money. Your time, somebody else's time, if it's somebody else's, you're paying them. Or you're yep. going to be investing money to get the phone to ring. So you have yep. to just get into this business. But like you, like all the other entrepreneurs I'm interviewing, you take an action. You, you started off with small, consistent steps. You started taking MFA and started making shit fucking happen. And I'm yep. glad you implemented because that one conversation, I remember I was driving. And it was like a maybe an hour conversation we had. Yeah. And I could hear you scribbling in the background, <laughs> like, like yeah. out of control, bro. It was uh, that conversation. I'll, I'll tell you tr the truth, man. If it wasn't for that conversation, I don't even know if I'd be living the lifestyle I'm living today, dude. Because that catapulted my business, dude. I'm not kidding. And I, I'm not just saying this because I'm on your show. Wow. Dude, I went after you. We had that conversation. I freaking, this is back in 2018 in Texas when cold calling wasn't even popular. Dude, I was one out of six leads. I was getting a deal, dude. We were making 30, 40, uh, 30, 40K a ticket, dude. And we were doing like two or three of these a month. Dude, it was it was in my parents thought I was like a drug dealer, dude. They were like, what the hell? <laughs> I'm like, dude, going back and forth, East Coast, West, uh, every couple of weeks, dude. They're like, what's this kid doing? It was, it was a, dude, that was like the tipping point in my career, dude. I mean, I'm serious. These, those, those hairy uh, properties have made me so much money. It's crazy. <laughs> I'm glad I was able to be part of that, bro. I'm glad I was able to like give you that spark yeah. and that knowledge that, but look, yeah. you, it's you that should be congratulated because you actually took action, bro. So, and that's why I love you. I, I love hanging with you, even though we're, I'm double your fucking age. <laughs> I'm literally double. I'm literally fifty years old. You're talking to my kid. All right. So listen. So there's something else that I want you to talk about. So we got into your hairy deals. You gave some really good tips of you know how to list stack. And if people don't know what list stacking is, what Greg was saying when you when you look at a property, if it's only on one list, is it's not. I mean, it's still good. You can market to it. But if it's if it has multiple issues, data points that that really creep up in this thing, a tax lien, a vacant, somebody passed away, liens on the property, divorce situation, the more data points that stack on these lists, the greater the discount you're probably going to be getting on that deal. Yes. And the less people are going to be going after it. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind. Yep. Now, you you took you took your sales process and your sales ability to the next level because I've been watching you over the years and you just like fucking dive in deep to everything you do and you become a master at it. So let's talk about what you've done on the sales side because you negotiate extremely well and you have a way to go in. Let's give the, the listeners some of these sales tips on first off how you start building rapport with the sellers initially and then from that question will lead us into more. 
Absolutely. So you made a good point there with rapport. And that, that is like something that you know, it's so important to do that because you can say all the right things to somebody, but if you don't have that bond built, they don't care. Like you make a great point when I listen to your stuff. You say you got to be like a chameleon. If the person's really you know energetic like you and I, you kind of match them. But if they're kind of chill and monotone, you got to you got to kind of match how they are because or else they're going to like you're breaking that like kind of subconscious rapport there. So the biggest thing I like to do when it comes to building rapport is I just make sure, number one, I try to match their personality. Right? Like I used to sell like before I really got into the sales thing. I tried to sell my style to like the accountant. And that was you know, they'd be like, dude, get out of my house. And I'm like, why not? Yeah, like, do it. Oh, yeah. And you'd be like, dude, get the hell out of here. So I learned the hard way. You got to get into their head, man. You got to know who you're, who you're speaking with and you have to speak their language. Exactly. So you, you got to do that. Number one, you got to match their personality. And number two is I like to always make sure that I'm summarizing what they're telling me. So I love asking questions, open-ended questions, what and how questions. I learned a lot of this from Chris Voss. And then once they tell me the information, I like to, to kind of, paraphrase it back to them to make sure that they know that I understand them. So I would say like, Oh, Billy, it sounds like the main reason you want to get rid of this building is because you are tired of being a New York landlord and having Andrew Cuomo not be able to have you evict people. Exactly. Greg, that is, I hate that freaking guy, et cetera, et cetera. So like I try to spin back what they told me so they know that I'm on the same page as them. So that's thing. Number one, that's like how I try to build rapport with people. Another thing I do with the rapport, and this is kind of goes into the next step is I'm not pushy at all, like with sellers. Like I actually just locked up the, the wholesale deal I'm going to after this call. I mean, I had to go on four appointments to see this guy. I've been following up with this guy like like a very politely for nine months. And I never forced him to do business with me, right? I never forced him. I had meetings with a guy where we wouldn't even talk about the contract, but I built that bond, that relationship. This guy likes talking about all the crazy conspiracies and all this stuff. And I just sat there and listened to him, listened to him. And he knew that, I was there not to close him on the spot. I was there to eventually solve his problem, which I'm doing. But at the same time, he knew that I wasn't going to pressure him, right? I bring the contract, but I never like whip it out and make him sign or anything like that. I, I, I wait for the right time. It's like you're like a sniper. You got to wait for the right time to pull the trigger and hit the deer, you know, or else you're going to just miss. So that's the second thing. I'm not very pushy with people. I, I, make, I make it seem like, well, I, I, it's true. Like I'm very big on like, they need to make sure that they feel comfortable making this decision because it's a big decision. You're selling a property. You're not selling me a TV. You're telling me a property. This, you've probably never done this before seller. And I want to make yep. you feel like you're very comfortable doing this. And because of that, generally what I'll do, like when I have that rapport built and they know that I'm not going to pressure them, the third step, this is like critical. I mean, this is like, this third step is so important. And you've, you've said this, I, I mean, I want to know what that seller's price is. I, we can go through a case study for him where I made a hundred thousand dollars plus on a deal by doing this. I literally was like, Brian, what do you want for the price? So I want the seller to go first. I want to know their number because a lot of the times when you build rapport and you have a real seller on the hook, not a tire kicker, generally they are going to be reasonable. They're not going to try to ask for double ARV. They're going to be very open and honest with you about what they really need to get their problem solved. And when I'm negotiating, when we're talking about the financial negotiation, I want to know where their number is at. Because a lot of the time, if you know what they want and you know your numbers, you can slowly kind of have them close themselves. Because, I mean, I, I have deals where I didn't hard nose negotiate them. I found out what they wanted by asking and simply bought it for what they wanted, which was lower than what I was going to like come in initially. So you, I really yeah. want to get the price out of them. 
And that just makes the whole negotiation a lot smoother. And then you can find out like if they're, if they're going to move forward today or not by asking, hey, if you got a good price, what would the next steps look like for you? And if they're like, oh, well, I, I can't even sign today. Well, then you don't have to give them an offer because you know, it's, it's like all oh, it's the whole sign. Yep. Yeah, those are like big things, man. It's it's just brilliant because sales really is all about communication. It's all about rapport. And I, I want to go back to what you said initially that you with this guy here closing today, you've met with him four times prior. And I'm assuming oh, yeah. just from the conversation, it was it was a minimum of 45 minutes each conversation to probably an hour oh, and a half. Hour, hour and a half. We're, we would meet at I mean, we, we locked the file up last Sunday, but we were meeting Sundays before that for an hour, for hour ticket. Yeah. Sitting there the so but this is key. I don't want to gloss over this because this is one of the secrets that gets me the absolute fattest deals out there. It's that right there. Having that relationship. I don't go in pushing. I'm going in with the intent to close, but I want to be able to go in and build enough rapport with these people to where when it's time to close, I'm buying this place at a discount and it's like they're closing themselves. And I've done this. I've done this multiple occasions where it's a first time close. I'll go to the house, but it's not, I'm in for 15 minutes and close. I'm in there for three, four hours. I'm parking my ass at in their table. I'm having dinner with the guy, breaking bread, talking about all sorts of shit. And I'm not talking about the house. And that's what you said also. You would go in and have a conversation sometimes for an hour and a half, two hours, and not even speak about the house. Nope. You're just talking about bullshit, and that's the rapport thing. Exactly, because they can sense that you're not there trying to close them real quick because they see that you have a genuine interest in them, right? And that's where they, they, they feel that bond. And when you do that, you make this, the rest of the sales process so much easier because I think a lot of people, they, they hear some sort of sales tactic, which – Everything works if you do it right or if you do it consistently, but they think they can one call close somebody in 15 minutes and make, you know, 50K. You maybe do that, but like that's not really how you get great deals because this is a it's a a, such a consultative sale when you're buying an asset, whether that's residential or commercial. It's it's a huge decision these people are making and you need to have that bond there or else they're, you know, they're going to be, you know, just kind of like a deer in the headlights. I I couldn't agree more, dude. And I say it all the time. People do business but people they know like and trust and people like people like themselves and you know it you just man i don't know how to even get it across i've said it so many different times on other people's podcasts i'm saying it on this one it's so important to not go in as a salesperson no our salespeople, but you can't go in with your sales hat on and try to force these people to fucking do the deal like it's not going to work you have to have empathy you have to build that rapport deep you really got to understand them on a deep level. And look, if it comes down to you going there and you're like, I'm not wasting my time two hours. If you know it's a deal, you're not going to go waste your time on a deal that's retail. But if you yeah. know it's a deal, you have to invest as much time as needed, but not a minute more. Don't be one of those guys. Now you're his best friend that you can't close. You have to understand the process of how the system works yeah. and you need to take them down this emotional pathway. And when they are ready to close, you have to do your test closes. As you said, ask them the questions. This this business is all about just questions and answers. And all the questions you're doing, you're building Intel. And when you build Intel, they're basically fucking telling you how to sell. Yes, man. It's like a big, it's like doing the lockbox in gym class. You're trying to get your locker open. You got to know how to sniff the dial around. And it's, it's, it's the, just being able to communicate, whether you're direct response, copywriting or selling in someone's kitchen, the ability to communicate with others and really studying communication, whether that's written communication or verbal or audio, that's the skill you want to have because that that works with raising money, 
selling sellers, selling your team, all that stuff. You need to understand how to be a good communicator because that is it just it get you very, it can get you very far because you can build that bond with whoever. And then from there, you guys can decide together if it makes sense for you guys to, you know, do business together or raise money, whatever. But just that communication skill is just, it's invaluable, dude. Invaluable. How many of your deals, Greg, do you close on your first appointment versus follow-up? Oh man, I would say maybe 10 to 15% will be like the one call closes. Um, but I don't base my business off of that. Cause I'll tell you what, man, it's, I learned this from Todd Toback, actually, who doesn't live too far away from me. And uh, he yeah, said, yeah, like, Todd, Todd's a good friend. He was just he's awesome guy. I think he's from Long Island, actually. He told me that. He is. Long Beach, yeah. That's hilarious. He was saying, like, man, the laydowns are so reactionary. Like, when you get a laydown, like a PPC lead or like a TV lead, and they're really hot, you really can't control that. Like, they're going to call in. Hopefully, they're going to sell to you. They're not going to do the price shop thing. But it's such a reactionary sale. Like, I, I just see like, 10 to 15% of the deals I'll do will be on the first I guess, opportunity, but generally it's two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and maybe even nine more conversations when they call in, you understand they're qualified. And then, you know, you follow up with them strategically to then get them to close themselves at the end. I mean, I, I have a deal, Billy, where the, I, this was a not a motivated seller, as the gurus would say. And it took me like, I think two or three or four uh, either phone meetings and in-person meetings to get this guy to close. But like when I closed them, I mean, it was a six-figure deal. So it was like, that guy wouldn't have shown up on the, on the guru's motivated seller list, but I built the rapport with the guy and negotiated and the follow-up obviously was, was profitable. You know, if you get anything out of this guys that are listening, it's all about reports, all about building that sure. likability factor sure. report is, is it, and it's not a one-time close. You have to take your time, but not a minute more close when it's the right time frame, and totally. they'll tell you when to close them. And when it's that time, Get the fucking paperwork out. Get them to sign it. Right then and there when the mindset is in the right spot. Yeah. What other tips could you give, Greg, in regards to um, working with sellers? Because you you really are impressive when it comes down to negotiating. Like, what are the tips could you give people on the negotiation side? Yeah, I think with when it comes to sellers, I mean, I think a, a big thing that has helped me is is kind of knowing, doing deals in, in markets that aren't very easy, like New York with attorneys and San Diego with a billion and five investors out, out here. It's a, it, it has made me stay on my toes because like I'm, laydowns are hard to find, right? Because like they're just, yeah. the attorneys in New York are like a whole other topic. But I think the biggest thing I've learned with the sellers is that like when you when you start negotiating with the seller, like I, I mentioned earlier, like, you know, you need to understand like where they're at price wise. And like, if you guys can kind of make the deal, once you get there, like I'm more concerned, not about what they want for the house. I'm more concerned with, Hey, if you got X, which would be the price, what is the next, what does the next steps look like for you? Because I want to make sure that if I'm there to solve their problem by building rapport and investing the time, whether it's on the phone or in person, if I'm there to do that and they're closable, like you said, I want to walk out of there that day with either the accepted offer or the contract, depending on the state I'm in, right? So I yep. think a lot of investors, they get very antsy. And I fall guilty. I think everyone falls guilty of this sometimes, but you kind of jump too soon and you think because they want 200 grand and you can pay 200 grand, you're going to close them. But I think a lot of guys, they, they, they make the offer too soon. And then the seller takes that offer. They say, thank you so much. Have a great day. I got to talk to my sister, which you never had in the conversation. And then they're they're playing that like chase game, right? They're playing the chase yeah. game. Oh, what would your sister say? Da, 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 da. So my big thing when I'm negotiating with people is I just love to say, 
hey, Billy, if, if you got, you know, 550 for that building you have over in Patchogue, I mean, what, what would the next steps look like for you if you got that price? And if you're saying, Greg, you know what, if you got me 550, I would, I would sign the contract today. Now I know you are going to take action. It's going to be a determined, it's going to be determined upon the price. But if you said, hey, Greg, you could offer me 10 million for that building in Patchogue, but I am not going to sign today because my attorney always wants me to go to his office before I make a decision. And now not a dead deal, right? That deal could be very well alive, but you know not to sell your candy and give him your price and then have So yeah, that's a big deal, especially in this, the larger sale with like a real estate and hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars. You got to really know if you're in a winnable game on that sales call or not. You don't want to like, I think Sandler calls it spilling candy in the lobby because once they have what they want from you, it's a lot easier to just go someone because they go, oh, I know they're at they're at 250. Cool. And then they just go run away and you don't really know what you're doing. You're like kind of chasing them, you know? Let, let me ask you this. If somebody does come out and they said, listen, Greg, you know, I, I would 200,000 is my number. I'll take two and, and I'll do the deal. I'm just curious how you would handle this. Do you then offer them the two or do you hem and haw and say, God, I was, you know, how'd you come up with that number? Just out of curiosity, like give us your rundown because I know the process we go through and I never, if they say their number, I'll never offer them that number because then they, they think that they think they got money on the table. Yeah. Yep. They think they, yep. We took advantage of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. Uh, it, it really depends. I actually had that scenario. I got kicked in the butt a couple of weeks ago where that I, I anchored them low and they got pissed at me and they ended up selling a, one of our friends. I <laughs> wasn't very happy about it. Uh, <laughs> I was like, it's all good. You, just, you can't win everyone. But I basically, yeah. I, I did that. And she said she would sell for 70 K like for sure. And I said, okay, that makes sense. So you'd sign for 70 K. I'm probably going to be around 58. You know, and she got She thought I was like a used car salesman. Cause she, you know, some sellers, she, she was really pissed at that. And she didn't like it. She thought I tried to anchor her or whatever. So generally, generally in that scenario, I would, I, I will do what I just said. Like I will offer them lower. I don't want to like really crank them down. It really depends on their personality. Cause some people yeah, it does. don't care. Some people like they feel like if they are going to sell for 200, that's a ridiculous deal. How could you not sell? So I, I try to read their personality, but like a lot of the times, if they say they're at two and I can always buy the house at two and I know they're going to take action, right? I'll say, I, I'll, but I'll kind of slow it down. I'll say, okay, so if you got 200K, you'd sign today. Understand, makes sense. I'd say, before we get into the negotiation, I'll say, well, what else besides the price can I help you with to make this transaction more valuable for you? So then what I'm doing is I'm trying to get them to tell me what else can I, like, can I clean their shit out for them? Can I move them to an apartment, which we've done? And then I'm, I'm trying to build that offer around other things besides money. And then I'll come down generally. And if they don't want anything else, just a price, depending on their personality, I may just negotiate them, you know, and I'll say, you know what, I think I can do two, blah, blah, blah. But generally I'll go a little bit lower. I'll say I'd probably be at like, a buck 90, buck 95. Is that something you can consider? And then it's kind of a negotiation from there. But the biggest thing I try to do is, and it's hard sometimes, but it's, you have to make it not about the money and you got to get them to see the value on what you're like the serve, the yeah. value in the service needs to be greater than the dollars, you know, because yeah. like it, anyone can give an offer, but not everyone can give a, a handcrafted offer that is perfectly fit for them where they're getting moved out and they're getting, you know, the freaking white glove service to the new apartment. And we've done those and we've made a lot of money doing that. We don't do it every deal. That seller had a house in an area that was incredible. And we got this price house at a crazy price. And, but she didn't care about that. She cared about getting her problem solved and she was willing to give up some equity to get her problem solved. So that is a good fucking point. Cause that leads me to my next question. Oh. <laughs> I, I know 
because and this is probably going to be one of the last because I know we're running out of time. But I know with us, we are definitely not the highest offer on the table. Some sometimes, you know, sometimes we're coming in. It's a competitive deal. We have to really, you know, we're gonna we're gonna renovate this thing. We're really honing our numbers. But I could I could recall a dozen and a half to two dozen times off the top of my head that I've been involved with deals where I've gone in and the sellers have had offers. Twenty thousand, forty thousand, sixty thousand dollars more than our offer, but yet they accepted my offer versus the competition. Let I want you to articulate to the listeners on why do you think that happens when somebody comes in? Because it's not always about the money. Why would they sell to you or I for a lower price when they have another offer for fifty, sixty thousand more? It's that bond and that relationship and that trust and that it's almost like a subconscious kind of thing where they feel it's not like obligated, but they, they know that you, they know that you understand them so well, they wouldn't want to do business with anyone else because most likely the competitor should not build the relationship the way that you and your team built the relationship. And there's a real dollar, there's a dollar value attached to building a bond like that. You know what I mean? Oh, like, that trust goes a long way. Yeah, it's the trust, man. And that's why I see a lot of, and I used to fall guilty of this, not anymore, but I used to undersell wholesale deals sometime by five or 10K because I had a bond with the buyer. You know what I mean? And that, I think that's another rabbit hole. But yeah, I mean, and that's, that's it's the same thing on the other side. You know, it's selling for less because you have the relationship, you know? So I think it, it there is real monetary value in building a bond with a seller. And a lot of the times it's like, if they if the seller feels like you, right, are there to solve their problem and you understand their scenario better than anyone else, they don't care that they can get more money. Because I'll tell you what, Billy, if they wanted more money, they wouldn't be on the phone with you. They'd have the realtor have the sign in their yard and that thing would be on the MLS. You know what I'm saying? So it's You're right. Right, if it was a set of money, they're not you know, people, no. people think, people think, honestly, we have you could relate to this because you're in the business, but people that are new, it's a mindset thing. They think they have to be the highest offer on the table. No. And would you just have a bug in your face? Yeah, I got here, and maybe it's a, yeah, a bug coming down. <laughs> but you know, it's a mindset thing where people they think they have to be the absolute highest off from the table, and it's just not true. It's not when I, when I started here in New Jersey, one of the first deals we did, and I had Nicole come to me on the on the appointment. The sellers had a legit offer of two seventy five, and my highest offer was two hundred two. We're, we're like, <laughs> world apart. But I sat there for three hours and we ended up getting this property. Now for 202, we came up, I think it was like 218 and 220, but still a a killer deal, but substantially lower than the other person. And there's many contributing factors to that. But the biggest thing is the no like and trust. We got in there and it's not that they just liked us and said, hey, I like this guy. I'm going to lose 50. The deal made so much financial sense for them because of all the additional benefits that we were giving them on taking care of the CO problems on moving all their furniture out, on handling the inspections, on and on and on, and all these little things. So the dollar amount plus all these additional headaches that they would have had to take care of with the other buyer, yep. they looked at it and said, you know what? I'd rather just sell it to you. But what we did with this, I'm curious, do you, we do it a lot. Do you do the takeaway? Do you ever like do the takeaway where you're like, look, I don't really think, I'm, I don't want to insult you. My offer is going to be nowhere near what you have coming in. So do you, do you like, you know, and, and this works. Listen, I don't want to insult you. I don't, well, what's going to be your offer? I, and I know what their number already is and I know what they're offering. Yeah. 
I'm going to treat like my mom and dad or like, like an aunt or uncle. This I don't even want to give my off because I don't want to upset you. Here's what I'd recommend you do. And then I go through the process if they want to list it of all the steps they're going to have to go through. And I just build up this, this image in their head of – I don't tell them it's going to be a problem, but they realize it's going to be a problem. And yeah. by the end of it, they're like, well, what would your offer be? I come in low, and then they come back and they go, that's just too low. I go, I understand. That's why I didn't want to offend you. I didn't – yeah. I don't want to, I'm here to help. I'm here to serve. I'm here to make sure we take this through. And generally what happens, they end up calling back. And I don't get it for that number, but that number was not the number I wanted to buy it anyway. But that number, my real number is fifteen yeah. to $20,000 higher than okay. that. So it looks like they won. They, yeah. they have a win against me and we're helping them out. It's like a win-win all the way across the board. Yeah. The realtor takeaway, I, I do that. I do that generally in the beginning of the, in like the beginning of the call. Like I'm like, Hey Bob, like, man, you're, you're in houses in San Diego. Like, have you ever thought about putting this on the market? And generally this is, and I learned this from Todd too. Like if they wanted to list their, I've, I've learned like most sellers, if they really wanted to list their property, at least in California and even in New York, that's like crazy market. They have that thing on the market. So generally they will say, I don't want to list my house because of X, Y, and Z. And then they're going to say something and then, well, what's the big issue with, you know, having people come to the house? Well, my mom lives upstairs and she's, you know, elderly. And then they're, they're talking themselves out of that deal. Cause I think um, sometimes as far as, you know, at least the ones that I deal with, they, they're all pretty aware of realtors. And I think if I bring it out first, it's almost like you said, like I'm, I'm kind of taking the cat out of the bag and seeing how, you know, how much it's going to pee yeah. on the farm, you know? Um, so I, I like bring that, yeah. I like to bring that up kind of early on. And, and generally the takeaway, you just said, I, I, I love to go negative with the seller when they're not telling me, you know, kind of what I want to hear. So like an example would be yeah. like, Oh, Bob, it sounds like, you know, if you don't get 250 for your house, you're never going to sell in, in a million years. And he's, Oh yeah, exactly. And then my big thing in sales, and this is not talked about enough. It's understanding how to disqualify the right way. Because the last oh thing you want to do is spend a lot of time with a tire picker because you're going to think the business doesn't work. And then you're going to have this habit in your head thinking, Oh my God, I send these postcards out and all these angry people call me. And it's like, no, well, you're talking to unqualified sellers. You got to 80, 20 yeah. those people and segment like top. This is all from Todd, man. The pretenders from the contenders spend all your time with the freaking people you can help because it's like, it's, it's selling anything. You don't have to be in real estate. You could be selling freaking software. It doesn't matter. It, sales is like the same shit, you know, same shit. Dude. You know, it, we're, we're coming up to the 50 minute mark, so I don't want to take any more time, but I got to tell you, bro, this was a fun, it's a very fun podcast because you delivered serious value, like actionable items that people could take away, instructional shit that they can take and start implementing, whether it's getting into new into a new market, negotiating with sellers. You've added so much value in this podcast, bro. How do, let me ask you, how do people find out about you? What's your, your IM, your DM, whatever the hell you call it, Instagram? Sure. Yeah, yeah. And if they want to connect, the Instagram is the best way to do it. They can go uh, type in Grego, G-R-E-G-O underscore 37. Uh, I put out a good amount of content on Instagram, promote my podcast. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of what I use it for. I connect with people. I, I network a lot on there. So if you're local to San Diego. Tell them, tell them about your podcast, bro. Put a plug in. Oh. Because you, I was on your podcast. It's a great oh, way. Pave the way, brother. On that thing. Um, man, you had a great episode. Uh, yeah, Pave the Way podcast. It's on iTunes. It's any podcast platform that's out there. I interview rock stars like Billy. I got a nine, a guy with a nine-figure net worth coming on in, um, in January. So I try to bring on the the big boys, and uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a great tool, and uh, hopefully, like like this one there, the intent with that podcast is to just provide massive amounts of value for people. Because I mean, I yeah. wish I had like that when I got started. You know, I would have really helped. Bro, 
I love you, man. Next time I'm in California, I'm coming out to see you. You've been wonderful on this. Guys, go follow Greg. He's a young stud. This guy is just starting out. He's five years in. I'm anxious to see what the next five, 10, and 15 years brings to you, bro. Like, sky is the fucking limit for Greg Halbert. I appreciate that, Billy. I'm looking forward. I think we're going to see each other in a few months. If you're going to be down in uh, at the Brotherhood in Tulum, I think we might see. Oh, you. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm actually I'm going away for a month, Puerto Rico. Oh so no, I'm not going to Tulum. We'll link up. I'll see you. I'll see. Yeah, you. yeah, we'll definitely link up. But that's I'm fucking I'm so proud of you for being in that in that one too. Multiplies awesome. is a great organization. Big boys in there for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're awesome guys. If you want to uh, get any information, all the tools and tips that are utilized, you can go right to BillySecrets.com. Everything we use to build this business to get started to grow and to scale is on there and greg again bro i appreciate you i will see you again my pleasure man peace out bro thank you so much for listening to today's episode of unstoppable real estate investing wealth my mission is to give you my listeners the blueprint for success the insider secrets for starting growing and scaling real estate investing business so you can experience and live the unstoppable lifestyle. I've made it simple for you. To catapult yourself to success, go to billyssecrets.com. That's B-I-L-L-Y-S secrets.com. There you will find every single tool, tip, trick, strategy, system, and secret used to make millions of dollars as a real estate investor. Thank you so much Everything for listening to today's episode of and Unstoppable Real Estate Only one my mission to tap into is to give you my so list start, to grow, and scale. Success. The real side of secrets are really starting, growing, implementing what you're learning in real estate utilizing the tools to experience and live the unstoppable lifestyle. I've made it simple for us. To catapult yourself to success, go to billyssecrets.com. That's B-I-L-L-Y-S secrets.com. There you will find every single tool, tip, trick, strategy, system, and secret used to make millions of dollars as a real estate investor. Everything my team uses and my guests use all in one place for you to tap into so you can start, grow, and scale your real estate investing business. I really hope you implement what you're learning. I hope you utilize these tools, tips, tricks, strategies, and secrets, and I hope to see you on the next episode. God bless. Bye-bye.